Welcome to the Free Birth Podcast, a supportive space for people who are learning, exploring, and celebrating their autonomous choices in childbirth. Together, we'll unpack truths, share personal stories, and claim our ability to birth freely and intuitively. Here's your host, Emily Saldea. Today we have first-time mom, Rachel, whose minimalist approach to life I found quite inspiring. She tells the beautiful story of her off-the-grid free birth, and we have an important discussion on vaginal tearing and the cultural implications behind it. I remember like as a teenager and just a young person, my only thoughts around birth really were fearful. And I remember my mom's birth story. Um, she birthed in the hospital naturally, but with some interventions. But just the part about her hemorrhaging and having all the blood, it just was the part huh. that stood out to me so much. So I always had this sort of fear around it. And I, I think I did want to have kids someday, but mostly that fear is what stood out to me, and uh, I didn't think about it a whole lot more than that. But um, fast forward to, I think it was about two and a half years ago, I was invited to attend my first birth, um, and that's actually the only birth I've attended besides my own. Uh, my friend's son, I was having her third baby, and they called me up at five in the morning and I came over and she was just laying on the couch and it was just her and Melissa and I, I was rubbing her feet and it was really casual and just such a casual thing, you know, and then all of a sudden she got up on her knees and kneeled on the couch and birthed her baby. And hmm. she did have a midwife come over, but it was like, honestly, the most easy birth I've ever witnessed well, the only birth, but it just <laughs> a great a good starter. Flavor. Yeah, <laughs> totally. totally. I'm like, wow, what an awesome, easy birth. Mm-hmm. That's what it can be like. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that was in my mind. And then really just like having animals, having goats and watching them birth every year. And that kind of gave me a flavor of like, okay, birth is a pretty easy thing. That's something that happens in nature, like all the time without complications. It's just how it goes. And I had lived with this teepee community, this teepee village, um, before actually meeting my partner and had lived with a couple of really dear friends there who are mothers and they birthed their children in teepees out in the forest and Hmm. just did it naturally, raised their kids up that way, you know, do like elimination communication, all these things that I hadn't really experienced before, but Mm -hmm. just living with them, it was so normal and really opened up a whole new world for me of what's possible. So I had that in mind um, and also had in mind that I really wanted to have a family and be a mother and step into that world. And then this is about a year after that birth that I told you about. um, I met my partner at a skills gathering up in Oregon, and it turns out that he had also lived with that teepee village like several years before. So we had this like common foundation and yeah, we just connected there and pretty much knew right away that like we had similar goals in life and aspirations and the biggest one really was having a family. So 
without much ado, we just kind of did that in the next few months. And um, we're living, yeah, we pretty much always lived off the grid and just had a pretty simple life. And we got pregnant together around that uh, total solar eclipse last year in oh, August. Yeah. Cool. It's like just, I think, like within a week before that. So I didn't know at the time, but um, pretty soon after, uh, I knew I I had gone down to Mount Shasta for a, like a women's uh, vision quest ceremony and started having to pee like all the time <laughs> yeah so strange to me like even when I was fasting from water for the day I just had to keep getting up peeing um so when I came home and I missed my moon I kind of knew right away like oh okay I'm pregnant and I told him and um I didn't tell anybody else so for several months and just kind of like felt into it and noticed the changes and everything going on with my body and I never really felt like taking a pregnancy test or anything like that um just kind of minimalist really I think that's how I do most things like I don't feel the need to see a doctor or anything really or dentist um except emergencies of course but anyway um yeah around I don't I don't meet many I don't meet many women who don't take the pregnancy test. That's really cool. Yeah. I mean, I guess I just knew that I was pregnant. Right. So the place where the doubt did come in is, okay, like, is this going to last? Who knows? Um, So I was kind of open to that, seeing, like, is this going to be a child? Is this going to be maybe a pregnancy that that doesn't end in a child? I I didn't know. So I was kind of open to that and just curious about it. And, um, yeah, around... The third month, we were, again, living with that TP community. Um, We hadn't been together. Like, it was just me and him out in the woods in southern Oregon. And uh, we had kind of reunited with this group. And it was a really awesome village down there close to Mount Shasta. Seven kids running around and three other families. And we're all in our yurts and teepees. It was really great. And just living out there on the land with a spring and our goats and stuff. and so I was with these two women who had both recently birthed their children. I think their oldest were like a year, a year and a half. And um, they had free birth. So they were, of course, really supportive of me. And those were the first people that I really let know that I was pregnant. And at the time, we had planned to just be with them. You know, we set up our little Mongolian yurt there and made a nest. And we're thinking that that's where our baby would be born. Um, so they were really supportive of us, but I also wasn't sure that I wanted to do it on my own the first time. There was Mm -hmm. just a lot that I didn't know. And so I was looking into midwives. Um, I didn't really get too serious about it. Um, and I actually talked to a friend who was apprenticing with midwives and, and told her that I was thinking about doing, um, unassisted birth. And so I was, calling it then and and then she kind of was like asking me if it was because of financial reasons and stuff and I don't know for whatever reason that kind of made me feel funny and the truth is like financially we couldn't afford a midwife at all and I if I wanted to do any kind of birth like that I would have had to do a lot of financial like loopholes and things like that which just isn't 
very appealing to me and I'm not good at it at all. So <laughs> just like the simplest thing to do really was to not go down that path at all. Um, well, and so how did you, how did you, how did your birth story with, with the fear that your mom, you know, had planted in you around the bleeding out and how that had kind of colored, um, some relationship to birth previous to this, how did that, you know, like pair with, with, you know, kind of one of the most radical ways of giving birth, like out off the grid by yourself, not even in a house or whatever. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was an initial fear, but the truth is that once I started reading other people's birth stories, and I think even just meeting my friends that were living there Mm -hmm. in the village who had birthed, it really just overshadowed that with the positive light. Like, okay, birth is actually normal. It's pretty unlikely. And, And then just asking my mom, too, to hear more about my birth story and about the different interventions that she had and how quite likely she would have had a really easy home birth Mm -hmm. um, had she not had those different things happening to her. Um, Yeah, it just, it made me feel confident. And so really I just started reading more and more and researching and I kind of like, when I get a new interest in my life, astrology or any other thing, I just go like way into it Mm -hmm. and that's all I can think about and talk about. And so that was birth for me. And specifically, like, home birth and unassisted birth, but also learning about the different things that they do in the hospital, because I really had no idea that it was Mm -hmm. like that. Never been to a hospital birth before. Um, But, yeah, just the researching. And I found a flyer down at the local library for a birth class that was happening in town, and it was taught by a local doula. And so uh, my partner and I signed up for that, and he was actually hesitant to that because... From the get-go, he's like, okay, reproduction is a thing that humans know how to do. What more do you need to know? Nice. He's pretty like, minimalist. He's like, okay, you can do it. And he's actually, throughout the whole thing, has, you know, he's never, like, discouraged me from researching. And he wanted to learn basic things, but he kind of wanted to stop me from getting too heady about it and too, yeah, just you know, filling my head up way too much with things that I didn't really need to know. I mean, really, just my body knows, and I needed to trust it. But well, and if you're able, that balance for me totally. And I think for a lot of women, they have to, or they choose to over intellectualize and even over medicalize their own free births first to kind of find their way to that. And so, what I am hearing about your story that's so cool is like you you really didn't have to over intellectualize uh, this biological design. You know that you you were and your partner very much so, were very comfortable in um, the reality of the biology without having to, uh, yeah, like read every book and prepare for every emergency and make it super heady, which, you know, that's one of the most freeing parts of letting our, you know, letting physiological birth unfold is that it just will. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I think it's true. I mean, I I did over-intellectualize it, though, and um, it did give me some comfort, though, just to feel like I understood it in my mind of what what was going to happen, the hormones, how they work, mm-hmm. and what could possibly happen and what I could do for that. Um, but anyway, we, we took this class, and it was just us and two other couples. It was really sweet, and they were all home birthing as well and did, like, water births. And um, 
just being there, it was only a couple of, of sessions spaced out over a few weeks, but through the process of just like speaking in front of other people that I didn't know that well, my plans to birth without any medical assistance, without any doctor's visits or anything like that, it gave me a lot of confidence because I had sort of been living in a bubble really of just mm-hmm. people who live a lot like me and I hadn't had to interact that much with the outside world as far as like telling them my my intimate things like that which to me you know everything about birth is pretty intimate to talk about with other Mm -hmm. people so I just through the course of that had the confidence that I needed to know like yeah I am making the right decision actually I I don't want to have a midwife as a backup and I don't need to hire anybody that I don't know that well to be at my birth or anything like that. The one, the one kind of, uh, kind of wrench in our whole plans though was that we were living on this thousand acre property. It was really awesome. And, um, I think I was about five months pregnant when, and it was winter. It was like January, I think right before that lunar eclipse when the landowner who was like totally absentee just, suddenly um vacated all of us off of the land oh no we were like a tight yeah so we were a tight community you know all of us the four families and we got to stay together for a couple of weeks but then we all dispersed different places and and it was pretty heartbreaking to just think that I had some stability Mm -hmm. and then not so Really, that was like what was occupying my mind and my concerns throughout the pregnancy. Not so much like what could be wrong with me or the baby, but where mm-hmm. am I going to be? Where yeah. am I going to be stable? And Survival right yeah, there. That, that's totally. It's like root chakra stability stuff. And that's what was going on. Um, and so we spent a couple of really hard months kind of, yeah, just being being not grounded at all. Um, we went back to Oregon. We we're staying in our little bus, like a really little bus, and crammed in there with the wood stove, and uh, it started snowing, and it was just hard, just me and Andrew together in that little space, but we learned a lot through it. You know, in the aftermath, I'm, like, really grateful for the experience that we went through. Yeah. And it also gave me this space to dream up different scenarios because I knew for sure I didn't want to have someone be the boss at my birth. What I didn't know is who I wanted to be there Mm -hmm. and really how primitive I wanted it to be because we were used to living quite primitively without running water, without really anything but fire. Um, And I thought that I would be able to do that and of course my focus at the time was really geared on the birth not so much the postpartum Mm -hmm. which is like a whole nother world where I really did want to have a lot of comfort um but at the time when we were sort of in this vague zone um yeah we were searching dreaming up different places that we could go we knew we wanted to be amongst community um and families and support um and and at this wild place at this point, had you, what's your relationship like with your guys' uh, blood families? Are are they included in any of this? Are they support? Do they know about your plans? I mean, you obviously have been already living the pretty alternative lifestyle. So how how do they fit into this, if at all? Yeah. Um, my parents, I'm an only child. So my parents are 
really supportive of my lifestyle and very understanding and loving towards me. And when I told them that we were having a baby, I think I was, I waited until I was about four months. Um, and they were just so ecstatic. And truly, I don't remember them ever asking if I was going to see a doctor or anything. I think their concern more was like the stability thing, like where are you going to be and all of that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they just totally trusted me and trusted birth, I guess. And it somewhat surprises me because they're a bit more conventional and do go to the doctors for, um, not for every little thing, but like for big things, they definitely trust the medical system. And, and I do too, to an extent, if it's like emergencies, but yeah, that's what yeah, they're good at. I think. Yeah, but I think my parents both trust that birth is natural and that I'm healthy and that I know what I'm doing and making good choices. And yeah, they were supportive. Um, and my partner's parents were like, they were more concerned. They definitely were asking if I was seeing a doctor or if I had a midwife or anything like that. And it took a little bit of reassurance uh, of that we know what we're doing and that we do have support and it looks a little bit different, but that we do have mm-hmm. it. Um, and, but they're kind of like a phone relationship, right? So, mm-hmm. cause we're far away from both of our parents. So it didn't really have that much influence. Right. What my partner's parents thought, you know, my parents loved it. Okay. That's great. That's how <laughs> I felt about it. <laughs> okay. Um, so keep walking me through the rest of your pregnancy. Yeah. So somewhere around, um, the end of March, I was just so fed up with not knowing and with being in this bus, um, and was counseling with my friends over the phone and just decided to follow like the clear path, which was to go back to California. And that's where I had been living before meeting Andrew and have a pretty tight community down there, which actually includes a midwife and doulas who are just my friends. That's just what they do is at birth. Um, so I had like their support too, just in trusting me and, and my body and everything. We decided to go back down to California, um, on the coast in Sonoma County and, and settle down. We rented a little cabin in this garden that I had actually worked in that garden a couple of years and felt pretty connected to the place. Um, and it felt really good to be back with my friends and, be honored and I was eight months yeah eight months pregnant at the time so Mm. feeling pretty pregnant yeah um yeah and just like finally okay I'm just gonna rest I'm just gonna be here and like soak in all this nice um celebration and pampering and it just felt really right so the um the only thing that I did have was palpations my friend nan she's a midwife from way back in the day she doesn't really do that anymore um but she knows a lot and she's been to a lot of births and she just offered that to me as like a gift to just kind of check the baby's positioning so we did that a couple of times like i think we did it once a week and it was more just a fun thing to do with her totally and that can feel so yeah and so like nurturing and to feel, especially yeah. someone that knows you and loves you, that's like a whole nother experience. Oh, yeah. I know. That was my big thing with with deciding to go back to, um, to Sonoma County. I was like, I want to be with my wise women friends. Hell, yeah. I started to think more so 
beyond the birth and what the birth could look like into the postpartum and realizing, okay, I really don't want to be out in the woods with just my partner. That sounds that sounds terrible to me in some ways just because he can't do everything for me, you know? He, there's too many needs for him to like take care of everything. And I had in my mind already that I'm just going to be in bed afterwards, mm-hmm. after the birth. And I want to be in a place where I can just do that freely and be taken care of. So, and, and for yeah, and so for your women to take care of him, how special! Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so, around thirty-eight weeks, I think uh, my friend Nan she did a blessing way for us out in the garden, and all my dear friends came, and it was really special. Um, and Andrew was there too, so he was also being honored, and such an amazing experience to you know, pass just the prayers and the songs and then passing the feather around and and receiving. It was like such a time of receiving all these prayers and, and wisdom, too, from the women in the circle and such an affirmation to me that they were looking right at me and thinking, like, yeah, you can do this. This is a big life experience for you and transition into motherhood. This is huge, and you're going to be fine, and you're going to do it. So... It was so blessing, you know, that energy. And that happens to be the very same spot where we set up the birth space. Aww. That was pretty magical, too. Nan is a person who keeps a lot of different ceremonies that she's been passed down by people and does it in a really good way. So, Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, so that's awesome. You set up the birth space right in the space where you received all these blessings. That's so cool. Yeah, and the birth space was our. We have a 12 foot teepee, and it's a teepee that Andrew sewed, and he actually gave it to me like the the first day I met him. He <laughs> gave it to me and entrusted me to bring it up to this um, primitive skill gathering, like set it up, and and we ended up just sharing it there um, and like getting to know each other. And so it was like a really special teepee that we carried with us. Hmm. And, and so he set that up in right there in the in that ceremony spot under the plum tree. And then my friend lent me the birth pool that she had used. Mm. And so we had that inside. And, yeah, and I think he set it up about two weeks before she was actually born. So I was just, like, looking at it all the time. Totally. In the garden. Very, uh, very present. That was kind of cool. And, yeah, the weeks just kind of went on, and I enjoyed it. And started waddling and feeling really good. Um, Did, was there, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I think I was really blessed also that I didn't have really any complications throughout the pregnancy. Like everything went pretty normally. Um, So I didn't have a whole lot to be concerned about. And yeah. Yeah. That was kind of what I was wondering is spiritually or, or um, psychologically, how, how did you feel, uh, particularly towards the end? Was there demons and shadows and fears and, and concerns to overcome? W- were you doing a lot of, like, self-work? Or was it just easy for you to be in the, um, you know, the, the bliss and, and joy of, of a wild pregnancy? Mm, that's a really good question. Um I think I did. I think concerns did come up for me, for sure. Um, 
not so much about like physically things that could go wrong, but more so about how um how all of my emotions and everything are impacting my baby but in before she's born, like in the womb and everything and mm. that was just a big thing for me, and sometimes I felt really guilty for just having you know like anger mm. um yeah, just different emotions like that, so that was something that I was working through um spiritually and just trying to remember to be more in that ceremony space all the time. That's something my friend Anne Louise really wanted to encourage me to do when I came back. She's like, you are pregnant. It's a nine month ceremony. Hmm. Stay, stay in that and, um, and pray and just be with God. And so it was something that I, I did try to work on more at the end. But as far as like, thinking that something was going wrong inside my womb, I don't think I really indulged in that too much. Like it just felt right. And I felt a lot more connected towards the end, like in the middle of the pregnancy, I remember, you know, like reading other people's stories and thinking, well, gosh, I, I don't really feel like that connected to my baby, but towards the end, I just did more so and I think it looks different for everyone else so that was one of my things about reading other people's stories is remembering not to compare myself Mm -hmm. to stories because we're all so diverse um but yeah around like 34 weeks it suddenly hit me that she was a girl like I just knew that I had a little girl inside of me and that was so special Mm -hmm. what week were you and when was that that you got that information that was um about 34 weeks and that was right before we made this journey down to california so so take me yeah take me towards when you're entering your birthing time yeah um so we had this space set up and it was in may it was such a perfect time to birth we're in this garden all the roses are blooming and the different flowers and it felt so fertile and so perfect and it's starting to warm up. Um, and yeah, May. So we, um, celebrated our anniversary of knowing each other and meeting each other actually. That was really special. And, um, I think it was like the next day or the next few days. So it was mother's day and kind of got to be, honored like that like that was my last big outing as I went to the farmer's market which is kind of the social scene for me out there um yeah and like went and saw Nan and Nan looked at me and she looked at Andrew and she said you guys are ready to have that baby Mm. you know when the father looks ready that's when that's when she's ready to have the baby (laughs) like energetically if the father's not ready I guess it can influence it but that was actually uh after you know, like my due date that I calculated myself was May 8th. Um, but intuitively, I had already known that it was going to be on the new moon, which is May 15th that year or that month. Um, just because my goats had always given birth on the new moon and hmm. kind of realized that there is something connected there with the, with the moon energy and just like newness and rebirth and everything so oh for sure I mean it's yeah I I birthed on the full moon and there's 
you know, it's all anecdotal who would study that, but there's a ton, a ton, a ton, a ton of, of stories of women birthing on the new and the full, but of course, right. Like the, the tides of the ocean, the tides of our amniotic fluid, the tides of the tides of the cosmos, like, you know, the, the pulse of, you know, the lunar energy, like, of course we, of course it's crazy to not acknowledge the connection there. Yeah. And uh, funny you say that, cause my friend Melissa actually did do research on that and found that it was true. Most women birth on the new moon or the full moon. She did a whole sample of like home birth people. Um, so yeah, you're yeah, totally it's right. super common. I remember when I used to do it in hospitals, if the mom was in labor on a full moon, it was like, oh shit, she's probably not gonna be able to get a room because it's kind of just known that labor and delivery will be going crazy on a full moon. So <laughs> it's yeah. interesting. But anyway, so is the so you had passed May eighth, and Nan says you guys look ready. Yeah, yeah, that was on Mother's Day, which I think was the thirteenth um, or something. So the next day, uh, the fourteenth, I think the only big thing I really did that day, cause I was mostly sleeping, <laughs> like resting a lot, like sleeping maybe twelve hours or something, and taking naps and just laying around. But the big thing I really wanted to accomplish is like, okay, Andrew's birthday is the 16th. I just want to make a birthday cake for him <laughs> and have that ready. So I went, we didn't have an oven. We just had like a little camp stove and a fire pit. So I went to my friend and Louise's and baked him a cake there. And then she wasn't there. So I just like soaked in her bath and just <laughs> soaked it all in, enjoyed, enjoyed that evening and went and picked some roses and some honeysuckle and brought all that yummy stuff home and put it in the cabin. It was like such a beautiful fragrance in there. And I went to sleep and in the, it was like around one in the morning. And this was the new moon now like on the dot. I woke up and started having contractions, like the first real ones. And um, they weren't like intense or anything, but just, Clearly, I knew, okay, this is happening now. Um, and I think they were about every 20 minutes or something like that. So they were just warm-ups. Um, but I woke up, and I was so excited, really, that it was hard to sleep or anything. And I just kind of, like, observed them. And, um, yeah, just I would say curiously, like, observe what was going on each time because I'd never felt anything like that, of course. But I kept having this sensation that I had to poop. So I went outside because we had like a compost bucket out outside of the cabin. Um, and I went out there, but it was really cold outside. And um, I just felt uncomfortable. Just, yeah, overall kind of uncomfortable. So I got this other little plastic bucket and brought it inside the cabin, um, thinking that maybe I would just be more comfortable in there. And then I could go back sleep after I go to the bathroom and I sat on that and it actually collapsed under me and what? I just like fell backwards <gasps> on the floor <laughs> and um this is like a this is Andrew's favorite part I think it's funny that I fell on the floor and he our bed is on the floor it's like a wool mattress but he like jumped up in the air he just shot I bet. in a really protective way yeah like, oh my god what's happening <laughs> And then he saw me on the floor. And his first thought was, oh, no, there's pee everywhere now. <laughs> but the bucket was empty, actually. Um, 
but yeah, and then I told him what was going on, and then he knew, and um, you know, we just went back to bed, and he kind of held me, and I tried to go back to sleep, and I think I did take some naps in between. You know, I had like a 20-minute window between each wave, and it would wake me up, but it wasn't overpowering or anything. Um, yeah, so in the morning, um, I slept in a long time. Like, Andrew was milking the goats now and doing all the morning chores and feeding the chickens, so I kind of just stayed in bed, and um, I think in the afternoon, around noon, we, we took a walk with the goats and the dogs, and... I came back and I was so tired. My focus was really just to nap as much as possible that day, just stay in bed. And I did that. Um, I did a couple of chores, I think. But around dinner time, um, the waves just started getting really strong. And I was like kneeling over on this box, just breathing through them. Like I kind of knew it was going to pick up around evening, you know, because I'm pretty tuned into just natural rhythms, natural mm-hmm. cycles, and don't have a light or anything, and I just knew she was going to be born at night, like, that's the time, that this feels right to me, um, so in the evening, things started to pick up, and I had told my two friends um, that I invited to the birth, and Louise and Maya, and uh, so they came, Maya came first, and just kind of sat with us in the room, and the sun was setting, getting dark, and I was just laying in bed, and uh, Andrew was, like, holding me, and, yeah, just going through it, um, but eventually Maya kind of encouraged me to, like, you know, move around more with it. I think I might have ended up just sitting still through most of it mm-hmm. <laughs> if I hadn't have had the encouragement, so that was really sweet, um, and, yeah, I just got got more active in there and she got a wood fire going in the stove mm. um it was really cozy space and um like Anne louise showed up with a big chicken dinner for everybody and i considered like staying inside i was just afraid of being cold out there mm-hmm. and um and then everyone kind of got in this tizzy of like okay well, now we have to bring the tub and the pool inside and the propane heater inside and bring everything in and that just got really chaotic really fast so I just stepped outside and just went outside and like saw the stars and felt how good it was out there and just decided that I'm going to stick with that and just be outdoors Mm. and people were like asking me questions and talking to me a little bit more than I really wanted (laughs) Um, that's something that I think about when I revisit the birth it's like I love these stories of women being totally on their own and just mm-hmm. deep, deep in themselves and everything, and like with spirit. And yeah, I so admire that. And when I think about my birth, it wasn't exactly like that because I had people with me. I had Andrew and my two friends, and I'm so grateful for their companionship. And I ended up kind of relying on their companionship at some point. You know, when the waves got really intense, I loved that Maya could squeeze my hips for me and, like, touch me, and it it felt good to me. So this, you know, is obviously what I needed in this birth, but I think in the future, I would really love to just kind of do it more on my own. Yeah, me too. Now that I 
yeah, I mean, now that I trust myself, I think it was that, though, that I didn't know how it was going to go. And I wanted to know that I had people there to support me. It just felt more comforting. Well, it's kind of funny because we were before we were recording, we were saying how the average person is like, I should birth at the hospital for my first baby if they want home birth. And then there's like layers, right? So then the next person is like, well, I, you know, I want a home birth, but I'll just have a midwife, you know, if they actually want free birth and then there's free birth, but I'll have people around and now, and then there's, you know what, I'm literally just going to be by myself. It's like the hierarchy of radical birth. Totally. (laughs) Just like walking into the woods without notifying anybody. Uh, I know. I know. That's funny. Someday. But, yeah, I mean, I didn't actually have the option to have Nan there, who is a a midwife. She's not practicing anymore, but she's delivered or been at probably thousands of births in the past. So I had the option of her being there, and she offered that if I wanted to call her, you know, at transition time, that she would come. But And I kept that in my head, like, okay, if there's an emergency or if there's something going on Mm -hmm. that... I can't handle. I'm definitely going to call her. And she's only 15 minutes away. Mm. And she had given us that, um, the emergency childhood or emergency childbirth handbook. We read that. And then she gave us her oxygen tank <laughs> just in case we needed that. So we didn't have to call, call like the firefighters to come if we needed that. But, you know, we just had things on hand just to be, you know, responsible I guess. Um, well, we well, okay. Now, now I have to do a PSA about oxygen at birth. Yeah. Strongly do not recommend for anyone, anyone listening, you know, it's a, it's a, a controlled substance for a reason. Um, it's toxic to babies. Babies should not be having oxygen. Um, it's, it's totally insane that midwives are carrying that and acting as if that's some heroic, um, you know, heroic thing. So I'm glad you didn't have to employ that. And, um, and yeah, that's, that's kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for saying that. Cause I actually felt pretty uncomfortable and I didn't really want to take it when she offered it. Mm. Cause I don't really even know how to use exactly. it. Exactly. I've never, <laughs> it's like, here's I'm some, like, here's some like, a, dangerous? right. Here's some like, uh, you know, episiotomy scissors, Andrew, like just in <laughs> case you need them or, or here's like a deep suctioning, you know, thing for your baby's nose, just in case you need them. Like, Uh, you know, I mean, I guess it was maybe more for me if I needed oxygen, but again, like I've never used one of those contraptions before, so I don't know. It was there. Yeah. (laughs) It was just in a corner somewhere. Yeah. Right. You like Um, put a tapestry over it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think it was out on the deck with some storage things, but yeah, but she also gave me this great thick rope that she had used before at many Mm. births so I had this great thick rope um, tied around the crown of the teepee and that was like the best thing that anyone gave me Um, when it came to bearing down I'm outside it's dark it's starry it's a new moon night it's really gorgeous Um, and we're in the redwoods this is like a garden in a meadow surrounded by huge redwood trees that just creak at night and kind of silent while you hear this creaking really awesome um and I'm just kneeling on this bench just kneeling staying still it felt really really good to me actually um and I did get up a couple times like move around and they brought me a sheepskin so I'm just on a sheepskin out there Mm -hmm. and and they got uh 
think Maya got a fire going. There's a little fire pit just kind of close to the teepee, in between the teepee and the cabin. We had a fire going outside, which was really comforting. And, um, you know, it just, like, continued to, to roll on. And they were definitely overpowering. They were definitely painful, the waves. But I, I was never scared about them or anything. Um, I just trusted that my baby was fine and I was going to be fine. And my concern was really, is this going to take days? (laughs) I didn't know how long because I actually, um, right. Like I had listened to your birth story pretty, I think just before that, I can't remember when, uh, yours was came out in like beginning of May, I think. So that was probably the most recent podcast, actually, before my birth. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, is it going to take days? I don't know. <laughs> Are my friends? My friends can't handle that. They're going to leave me here alone. <laughs> They're going to be tired. Uh, so that I didn't know. And, um, yeah, I just I didn't know. But I just went with it. And um, I moved around a little bit. I walked around the garden, and I kind of... I tried hanging on my friends, like hanging on Andrew, and that just didn't really feel good to me. That was an encouragement of Maya's, and like, no, you guys can't really hold all that I am right now. So I'm gonna, I'm just gonna be on my own. Um, and I remember like checking a couple times, and I was kneeling, and my mucus plug was coming out. There's like mucus and stuff um, on my legs, and that was kind of interesting right it's Mm -hmm. like you're in it but also you can be this observer of like whoa my body is like doing this Mm -hmm. right now this is so cool so yeah I'm just kind of like observing and everything and um yeah just going through it and then at a certain point it was probably around 11 I kind of just demanded that the pool be full now like I want to get in the water um and they had a we had borrowed one of those on-demand propane heaters, but that was only doing lukewarm water. It just wasn't mm, really going to cut yeah. it. So pretty much, you know, like this conversation right now, like when technology is not working, we just go back to basics and just totally. do it simple. Cool. Back to basics. Okay, we have a fire going. Awesome. So Anne-Louise, she got like a pot and a kettle and just was rocking the fire and like, heating up water and boiling that for me and taking it to the pool and just so devoted. And I'm really grateful in a situation like that, that I had the support I had at my birth of like people doing stuff, taking care of things. So. I mean, that's the best support, right? Like just kind of managing the space so that you can do your work. Yeah. Yeah. She gave me some teas and ginger rose tea. She fed everybody so that they were taken care of also so that they could be supportive for me. And, um, yeah, it wasn't that much longer, maybe an hour, half an hour. I don't know. But and then I, the pool was ready. And so I couldn't wait any longer. I just wanted to get in the water. And when they did, it felt so good. It felt so right to be in there um, and just, like, lay down and, and let it take over my body. And, yeah, I had, um, like, an altar set up in there with some candles and, and some stones and bunch of roses I put like rose petals and lavender in the water and and just moved you know worked in there for a while and and moved around and um and it just kind of like in my mind when I'm reliving it it seems like it happened so fast and it really it was just a few hours that night 
um, yeah, where do you, seven or eight hours. Where do you think you are in your birth process at this point of the story? Well, um, I think I, when I got into the water, I was pretty close to transition. Mm-hmm. So when I had woken up at one in the morning, it was just, you know, like pre-labor all day long. And around sunset is when after labor really started to kick in. Cause that's when I just couldn't do anything but breeze mm-hmm. through it. Um, and you know, like the waves were coming pretty quickly too. Like I never timed them, but it was, I could tell in my mind though how, cause I'm pretty good with time. Like they were just a couple of minutes apart and getting really strong. So I think around midnight or so when I was in the pool, I was pretty close to transition and, um, it, I started hanging from the rope. So mm. I would hold on to it and just like, hold all my weight with my arms and that is the most mm-hmm. powerful feeling in the world probably mm-hmm. <laughs> wow just feeling your baby moving down in you it just gives me chills how intense and amazing and like otherworldly that sensation is just staring down like, hmm. wow so that was yeah thank you for that rope that was really great hmm. and I was in the water at the same time so it's such an ideal setup um yeah, I'm like holding me on to this rope, and I don't really know where I was at at the time. I knew I was in labor. I didn't know how close I was or anything. Um, but at a certain point, I was just curious, so I just like checked myself, and it didn't have to do very much. I just like put my fingers in, and I could feel. Um, uh, the first thing I felt was the sac, the amniotic sac, mm-hmm. actually. And I knew it was that just because it felt... Right, it's pretty uh, obvious. <laughs> it kind of felt like a goat stomach, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's totally what I thought, too, not. <laughs> <laughs> it, just had, it had that flavor to it, that consistency. Yeah, that goat so, flavor. Yeah, goaty. Um, that's funny. <laughs> but I also felt... Some you know, some people say, like, water so balloon. <laughs> oh, Yeah. Well, if you've ever cut open a goat, their stomachs feel just like an amniotic sack, I guess. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I felt also a little bit of cervix that was, it was hard. And I was just going on intuition with all of this, but like, okay, it's obviously like I'm not fully dilated, but I'm really close. This is amazing. Hmm. So just checking like that, it, it kind of like gave me, um, well, it gave me a good idea of how close I was, which gave me this whole new wind of, wow, I'm just going to, like, do this now. I don't have to wait that much longer. Like, my baby's coming really soon. Um, so I just worked on that rope, really. Mm. I just hung on that rope as much as I could and, and then would take a break and kneel down in the water again and sometimes lay down in the water and and um, Anne kept bringing hot water in to fill it up. So it was like perfect temperature the whole time, mm, which when I hear other so people's water birth stories, that feels it that's hard. Rare that that's ever a, perfect yeah. temperature. That's hard to achieve Fire. perfect water the entire All time. you need. <laughs> yeah, campfire is the best for that, I think. Um, but yeah, so actually, this is a cool part of the story that around, uh, it was like 1230, I think. 
and I'm not sure how I kept track of time this whole time, but I was very coherent. Like, I never had that tripping out kind of experience, and maybe because I was um, pretty well-rested, and it didn't take that long, but I was just super aware of myself, but also aware of what was going on at the same time. It was like kind of this omniscience of, yeah, this super, super woman thing hmm. going on. Oh, yeah. Um, but I was alone in the teepee now, and um, it's lit up with candles. But Andrew, he was out at the fire with Maya and Anne Louise, and they started singing um, this happy birthday song to him <laughs> because it was his birthday now. And I was alone in the teepee, and this super strong wave came over me, and I was really vocal the whole night. So they heard me I think everybody on the land heard me there's also like five other people living on the land um but Andrew came in you know in the middle of his happy birthday song he came in (laughs) to the teepee and just he was like kneeling around the pool the whole time and just saying really beautiful things to me and Mm -hmm. he loves me and just supporting me in, in that way like that I know that he's there with me throughout the process um and I think it was about that same time that I just got up and I kneeled on the pool, like on the opposite side of him, and felt the first, um, like, fetal ejection reflex, mm-hmm. the first push. And with that very first push, um, I felt a pop, too. So my water broke nice. in that moment. But it kind of hurt, actually, because I think it's because of that bit of hard surfix mm. um, that I felt. Um, just like the sack pushing up against that. So that being in my mind, I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm still not fully dilated, but now the water is open, it's popped, and, um, and now I'm pushing, or now it feels like I want to push. It's kind of happening, kind of like, to me, it felt like um, vomiting, like that vomit sensation, but the other direction, kind of. And Oh, yeah, it's like I your vagina of- throwing up. Yeah, totally. And you can't stop it. Mm -mm. But again, this is like one of those moments um, where my mind is full of all of the information that I've absorbed through my research, through my listening to podcasts and stories. So I'm kind of like thinking about the different scenarios, the different things that could happen rather than being like fully present in in a more like blank kind of state. So yeah, in a way... I think it was good. It was good for me just to be kind of aware of, like, what could be happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but my concern kind of kicked in, and so I thought, okay, I should probably not be pushing it. I'm probably not ready, so I'm going to get out of the pool. And I got out, and I knelt on the earth. I just was on my hands and knees on the cool earth, which felt really good. And um, But the pushing was coming, and it was kind of undeniable. But I tried to. I tried to deny it. I tried to just breathe through it for a while, for a couple of pushes. It just felt like moments, really. And it was the hardest part of the whole Hmm. thing was trying to not push. Like, wow. But you just just intuitively knew to do that. I, I would guess it's maybe intuitive or maybe it's just. You know, I was, that's what Nan told me is like, you want to try to not push right away. Mm-hmm. You want to try to wait for a while. So I think, I don't know if it was intuition or really just informational, but. Gotcha. It was in your head. I got out. Yeah. Just 
just that knowing that last time I checked that there was still some cervix left that I probably wasn't ready. So, mm-hmm. and also hearing your story where you were afraid yeah. <laughs> of your um, soul and cervix, I'm like, okay, I gotta be careful here. <laughs> so I got out and I got on the earth and I breathed through it. And um, that only lasted a couple of times, so a couple of moments. And then I just, like, it's like when you're trying to not throw up and then all of a sudden you just do and it all gushes out and it feels really good. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of like that. But I think what I felt was her head, like, entering my birth canal. And it felt amazing. It was, like, um, this one moment in the whole birth that was, like, orgasmic, really. Hmm. It was amazing that that sensation and it just confirmed for me wow I am ready I'm this is all good Mm. this is happening um and I you know I just stayed on the earth for just a moment longer and and I thought about just staying there because it it felt too good to move but I knew I wanted to be in the water also so I, I climbed back in the pool and with the next few waves I was kind of kneeling in the water and also holding on to the rope because sometimes I would pull myself up with the rope for that like bearing down sensation and um and I was checking myself too because her head came down pretty quickly and so I could feel the pressure and I was just like holding my hand over my yoni and uh it was pretty um quick that I could feel her head just like starting to bulge down there and just feeling with my hand and um and I was like I don't remember any pain at this moment like of course before all of this like it hurt the waves hurt but Mm -hmm. at this point I think I was just so aware and like vigilant and curious too and excited that that that's all I felt really Hmm. it was just like pure excitement and um and curiosity and, and no pain and so I'm just like feeling and with each wave, uh, her head is, like, coming, and, and it, um, it, it crowned, like, maybe four or five times before fully crowning. And at this point, Andrew is inside the TV, and Maya is also, and they're just kind of out standing around the pool, um, and, and Louise is outside with the fire. But I didn't really communicate with them at all. They're just there you know, holding space without really talking to me or asking me what's going on. And and it's dark in there, too. So in a way, I, like, kind of was private and kind of was on my own and wasn't really being watched too much. Like, half of me was uh, was in the dark. So, yeah, her head her head crowned and, um, and came out, and that was pretty intense feeling, too. Like, I, I did have that ring of fire sensation, and that was really a, an intense moment but yeah intense is a understatement <laughs> it really is and it, that's the other part that I think about when I revisit my birth too is I was not at all prepared for that sensation mm-hmm. I think it's actually it's better that we're not prepared Oh yeah. But nothing really, but nothing could prepare you, right? Like everything that has, that, that we've heard, like everything's been said. It's just that this is stupid, but it's kind of like trying to explain like 
going to Burning Man or like acid or something like Mm. you have to just do it. There's really, yeah, it's a ring of fire. Yeah. It's going to burn. Yeah. It's going to feel like the entire universe is going through a portal through your vagina, (laughs) but like really (laughs) you can't even intellectualize that. You just have to have it. Well, and also my friends, my older friends who are like grandmas and older wise women, they had told me, to do the stretching, right? The perineal stretching and even to have Andrew do it. And I had like, we talked about it, but it just did not appeal to me in any way to do that. And so I didn't. And I sometimes think, well, maybe I should have, I don't know, but Mm -mm. I didn't, I didn't want to, it didn't feel good. Yeah. You shouldn't have because of what it was like weird. Exactly. You shouldn't have because it didn't sound appealing. So there, right there, like, we're talking about your vagina, but the other thing is that there's no evidence that that does anything at right. all whatsoever. It's totally, um, it's just, it's, I mean, yes, it's anecdotal. Some women think it helps, but the, I, I think it's kind of counterproductive because we also have to be careful about what that implies because that's implying that you need help stretching. It's implying right. that you have to do something other than um, exist with the tissue that, that very much is meant to, um, not only is it meant to stretch, but it is also meant to tear if that is what happens. And it's also right. meant to heal, you know? So mm-hmm. I think the whole kind of consciousness around, um, the, the stretching prenatally, it can be dangerous in the sense of, you know, that, that leads a woman to think, oh, I need that. Or if, if I tear and I had done that, then I, you know, then I wouldn't have torn or kind of, I think it kind of contributes to some, mythological, you know, uh, things that are not factual. Totally. Yeah. I, I agree. I don't think that there really is any evidence for it physically helping or anything like that. And, and I didn't really think that it would, but the thing that did kind of sway me towards considering that is just like practicing to, um, sustain a sensation like that. Um, I think that's really the only benefit that you could get from doing a stretching is just like, whoa, this is an intense sensation and I can breathe through it. And when I revisit my birth, the, this is just the one thing that I think about is how intense that sensation was and how I wasn't able to really sustain it very long. And, um, and I didn't push, like I, was just letting my body push the whole time. Like, I never once, you know, forcefully pushed anything. But at that moment where her head was, like, half in, half out, um, it was just, like, this moment where I kind of see this opportunity to either, like, sustain that intensity or or not. And for me, I didn't really, and I just, like, kind of let this push come just to get her out, get her head out. Mm -hmm. It was too much for me. And I did tear. And I like what you said about, um, you know, like kind of getting a little bit, I don't know if you said it exactly, but getting a little too like heady and feeling guilty and feeling like, Oh, I did this wrong. And I tore, I could have done that better. And I, I have been that way really when I think about my birth is like, I think about that moment, like maybe I could have prevented it. Maybe, I could have done something else. And maybe it's just 
you know, my body is like this. My, but but hold on, but there's so. but you're but in that thought there's a unspoken implication that tearing is bad or that it shouldn't have happened or that um Right. That it, that there's an implication that if you had done something different, that wouldn't have happened. And underneath that, yeah. that's implying that tearing is bad. And so, right. you know, that's something that is so powerful to bring up because obviously we are all in a culture. We cannot escape, um, you know, how uh, just reductive our vaginas have become, you know, in porn and, in, you know, I mean that they're all supposed to look one way and they're all supposed to be, you know, look basically like they're eight years old and that, you know, uh, and that childbirth is going to absolutely ruin you and blah, 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 all the stuff that we already know. Um, when in fact the reality is yes, childbirth will change you forever in every single way. Yes. Um, and that is fucking awesome. Right. And so, yeah. You know, I've never seen a, t a tear and I've seen quite uh, scary looking tears. I've never seen a tear in a home birth that wasn't sutured or I'm sorry, that remained unsutured uh, that didn't heal perfectly ever. Um, my own included. I mean, mine, mine wasn't gnarly, but it wasn't it wasn't nothing. Um, it would have yeah. certainly been sutured had a, a midwife, you know, with a needle been near me. And, you know, it wasn't, and I stayed in bed for, you know, three weeks and I kept my legs together. I never applied seaweed or manuka honey or any of the other techniques. I just, um, I kept thinking about my cheeks, my, my mouth. I kept thinking about, um, it's mucous membranes. You know, my, my cheek is the same tissue as my vagina. And when you bite your cheek, you don't go get stitches, you know, and then you're shocked at how quickly it heals, um, even if you keep biting it again on accident, you know, once it's kind of inflamed or whatever. And I just kept thinking about that. And, you know, long story short, my, my vagina healed wonderfully. Um, my tear is not there anymore. You know, it's, it's, it's all good. What, what would you say about yours? Did you, how did you heal? Well, I mean, it is kind of different for me. And I think my body is more of a collagenous kind of a body where when I get any kind of cut or scar or, wound it scars it's on my skin and mm -hmm. so you know and I totally agree the whole <clears throat> like appearance and superficial level of a tear that's not really my concern here for me it's just having lived my postpartum experience it was really hard having a tear and I kind of think well it, it would have been very different had I not had that to heal because for me it took like I was in bed for like at least a week and then after that I was outside just laying on this futon like all day long and I basically was just laying around for a month mm -hmm. five weeks not doing anything and I tried really hard to just keep my legs together and and like keep clean and it was kind of my focus besides mm -hmm. my baby was oh healing, totally me too my hair it was huge and Nan was super sweet she would come over and check on me and yeah, just, like, encourage me and say I'm looking really good, I'm doing really good, and she's the only person, because I have such a close relationship with her, she's, like, my wise elder woman friend, and she's the only person that I let actually touch my vagina, mm -hmm. um, and it felt fine and everything, but, yeah, she was, like, encouraging me, like, you're doing great, most people wouldn't, you know, let this heal without getting stitches, I'm proud of you, and, um, and I, it did heal up, but honestly, I'm 
four months postpartum now, and it's only been like a month that now that it's been fully healed. Like it took a long time, mm-hmm. and just that sensation of like having to, you know, be really careful of how I move my body, which I think is important postpartum because you're relearning how to use your body, and you're kind of reborn into this mother body, and it's amazing. And it was hard for me to like not be able to squat and mm-hmm. not be able to do um, a lot of positions. And so only the last month, really, I felt like I can move my body again in that way because it, it took a really long time for my hair to heal. And that might be kind of uncommon. No, no, that's, that's very, very common. Absolutely. Okay. And I think there's a real... I think there's a real genius and, and beauty to... Um, two tears sometimes, because I wonder if you would have laid around as much if you didn't have to baby it, you know, I wonder, um, you know, there's so many different things at play, right? Because when we make ourselves, when we have to tend to, um, our tears, I know for sure, if I didn't have that tear, I would have not have been as good about resting and, um, allowing the rest of my body, you know, my pelvic floor, my uterus, um, everything, you know, like you said, you're coming into a whole new body. Um, and you know, it's all connected, right? Because the more we rest, even without tears, the more we rest, the better the integrity of our pelvic floor 30 years from now, right? The less likely we're going to have incontinence or prolapses in our sixties, the, the more, uh, time and love and, and gentleness and slowness we take in those immediate postpartum weeks and months. Um, Anyway, so I totally hear you. I'm not trying to d- diminish that it was challenging. I I totally hear you, and 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 I just think it's such a beautiful topic because even in that, there's there's almost a implication that it should have healed faster, right? But it, yeah. but why? Like we're, just like how my whole thing was, my labor should have gone shorter. I'm just like making that up, right? It took right. it took the exact time that it took, um, and it's our stories around it that that actually I find to be the most painful or to cause the most uh, suffering or resistance, right? And you know, all suffering comes from resisting what is or not accepting what is. Um, anyway, but but I I hear you, and I love that you're starting to feel like you know whatever the right word would be for you, like whole in your body again and, and having feeling some real healing a month in the last month or so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think you're right too. I mean, it is such a topic really. And for me, um, just talking about it now, it, it takes some courage because there's some really deeply embedded shame to it, to tearing, like even talking about it. And I'm, I'm not sure why that is. I haven't fully unpacked that, but it's there. And well, so talking about it is a big thing. Yeah. I think it's called the patriarchy. <laughs> I think. Totally. Yeah. I, and, right. Uh, like our, it's our vagina is like, I, I, oh my gosh. So part of my tear, how it happened at the, um, at the, the V like the vaginal opening and uh, a piece of it tore and day two or something or day three, I finally looked at it and there was a little piece of a tear of skin. I didn't really understand what it was cause I was still very swollen hanging. And I was like, Oh my God, I fucked up my vagina. And I had the same feeling you did of, you know, it was like yeah. your, your vagina's throwing up. You can't do anything about it. I was trying really hard to not add any energy on top of it. And then when it was actually the, 
you know, the largest part of her head circumference actually coming out, it's uncontrollable. It just happened. And I screamed through it. And, um, and so, yeah, later I was like, man, I wonder if there was a way I could have not done that. Or, you know, now I've like, I, I cried, I mean, on day three, which probably is not the best day to be looking at your vagina. Cause that's all your hormones <laughs> coming in and your milk yeah. coming in. It's like the cry day. But, uh, I remember crying and being, telling my husband, like, and again, I mean, I'm embarrassed to even admit this because I'm such a feminist and I'm such a self-assured person. And I was, I was crying and going, I'm so sorry. Like the vagina that you utilize is ruined. I, you know, it's ruined. (laughs) And obviously he was like, chill out, girl. It's all good. However it is, it's all good. But I did feel a lot of shame around how it looked and, and that I felt like I fucked up and you know, and then I'm happy to say, but it would have been fine if, if it hadn't, but it, my vagina just kind of like reabsorbed it. I don't even really understand what happened, but over the next couple weeks, it just like healed. And I, and I don't really know what happened to the hangy piece, but my vagina just like, like sucked it back up or something. Cause it's not there mm. anymore. Um, whereas for other women that I have attended the, the, uh, a ripped part does remain hanging out. Um, and you know, it's, it's our journey to rediscover self-love and recreate our uh, acceptance of our bodies, which is, you know, our vaginas changing is one of a thousand ways, right? Our boobs, stretch marks. I mean, everything, right? Everything about humans, uh, taking over our bodies for a period of time and then feeding them for a long time changes us. And if we lived in a matriarchy, if we lived in, you know, this utopian vision that we'll never see, you know, then, then this could all be celebrated in a really big way instead of it feeling like some destruction of our womanhood. Yeah. Yeah. I had really similar feelings and I'm really grateful that, that we're talking about this and for you sharing your own experience too. And, I've just been on the, you know, on the groups online, the indie birth and the, you know, the free birth group and stuff. And it, I guess it catches my eye that there are a lot of topics about pairing and how to heal them and all of this. And it's like the focus, like, how can I heal it as fast as possible? And I, I think it's really important just what we're talking about now to bring more dialogue to it, because it really is just uh, more like, how can I heal my whole self and how can I rest more and um, I don't know. It's like, it, it happens for a reason. Like well, I'm realizing that there's a reason today. Yeah. And I would, for sure. I would actually just reframe what my experiences of seeing everyone asking all day long questions about tearing isn't how to heal it. I mostly see how to prevent it. And so oh, yeah. there's so much in that, you know, there's so much fear and there's so much, um, concern, you know, that's, that's just saying like my vagina is going to get ruined. You know, everyone's told me, or I had an episiotomy before and understandably anyone, you know, coming from captivity where they've been violated and, you know, cut and scarred from unnecessary, you know, violence, understandably, there's a lot to unpack there about, um, you know, am I going to need one again? Or how am I going to stretch if I've already been cut? You know, that's, that's a whole different topic than what you and I have dealt with since, we had our first babies outside of the system. Um, but, but yeah, that's what I see more, more than anything is how to prevent it. And so, yeah, I love this conversation because really my experience, my truth and and what I have seen for a very long time. And, you know, my partner Yolanda absolutely would say the same thing, um, which is that vaginas are meant to stretch 
and they're meant to tear if they do, and they're meant to heal. All of that happens in the same, uh, in the same sentence, you know, they're not, um, yeah. they're not going, you know, you're not going to be left destroyed. It doesn't, that doesn't make any biological sense. That doesn't make any self-protective sense. Um, and the problem is so few women get to experience that because they're all managed, right? So if you tear at all and you're attended, you know, with, with someone who also, you know, lots of doctors get paid more to suture after the, after the fact, mm-hmm. um, you know, and everyone just wants to do something, right? So I have rarely been to a, a midwife assisted birth where, um, the midwife said we could suture you or we could not, um, you know, you'll heal on your own. I have so rarely heard that from a licensed midwife's mouth. Um, and yet it's absolutely true. It is. Yeah. I, somebody posted, um, one labial wall or two labial walls in a room will always find each other. Yes. Right. It yes, always yes. is meant to heal. <laughs> yes. I love that. Yes. They will find each yeah. other. They'll find their way back to each it other. <laughs> it's such a huge fear. And like I said, I didn't have any fear while I was in, even in transition time. Like, I didn't have any fear except tearing. And I don't know why. It was such a big thing for me. And um, I think when I revisit my mom's birth, how she birthed me, like, she had a routine episiotomy mm-hmm. and tore on top of that. Of course. And so she had, like, it was, it sounds really brutal when I imagine it. Mm-hmm. Right? So, oh, my God. Yeah. Could you imagine yeah, scissors to your perineum? Holy shit. I know. And it's like the most sensitive part of our body Oof. and the most sacred. And it's the portal into the world. And so no wonder we have so much of our attention focused on to that really tender place. Yeah, it's the um, gates. Yeah. And I this conversation that's helping me like really bring awareness to that of how much fear we have towards it. Like we're going to have focused uh, attention towards our vagina, towards our perineum. Like let's, let's reframe that more as like just, yeah, more, more, um, more love towards whatever happens there. And like you said, the healing process too. I mean, that's what it is. It is. If you need that, that's what it is. And for me, it, it turned out to be pretty good. Like I was, really blessed I was very pampered um in my postpartum like my partner wasn't working so he pretty much did everything for me he did all the daily chores and also took care of me and made me sit baths and would smudge me and take care of me and then um my friends did like a meal train so they were bringing me really good food and massaging my feet and everything like that so I think I just needed to be on my butt or my back and absorb all of that um, hell yeah and and literally every new mother does yeah everyone does everybody i mean there's no even if you're a new mother again by your seventh child like having a baby it is the time for reverence and love and and you know um support and resting and taking it all in and and this is true of 
for the optimal, you know, health and bonding and attachment of mom and baby, right? If you're up yeah. and enclosed and you're going to target or you're working on the farm or you're whatever it is, you, you know, you are not doing full 100% bonding and connectivity, um, and assessment, right. Of your baby. And that really d- is done best naked in bed with nothing else on your plate. And so, so few women get that, um, get that space, but it's not a luxury. It's not a, it's only a luxury and a privilege because it's not the norm. You know, it absolutely yeah, really should optional. be the norm. So yeah. I, I don't, yeah, I, I like talking about tears cause I think it's, it's, it's nice to sit with it and reframe it. And, um, I think it's also, I don't know how to say this. Like, it's like a part of our, it, it sounds so Christian. I don't mean it like that. It's like a part of our sacrifice, you know, like to, mm. to give ourselves to the bigness of birth and to the bigness of walking through, you know, these, these gates. I don't think we get through unscathed a lot and that's okay. Like you said, you're someone that like scars or that marks are left. It's like, yes, fuck. Yeah. That's awesome. You know, that's, yeah. that is our body's story and that is our body's offering, you know, to make this space and to get so big. Um, and to stretch in ways that we're absolutely meant to, but that freaking hurt, <laughs> you know, and that leave us in a whole new, you know, state. And I think it's a, I just, yeah, I love it. I, I love that I tore cause I was so freaked out by it. And I was so freaked out the first week about it. And I'm otherwise so self-assured and, so, and just so confident. So, you know, I love that I got that and that it, I kept reopening it. Cause I was like, I could probably just like make a snack and then I would totally fuck it up again. And I'd be like, Oh my God, when are you going to learn? Get your ass in bed. It yeah. took a couple rounds. To... Oh, that happened to me too. Yeah. It's such an aggravating experience to feel it open again. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh yeah. But you know, it was, I didn't even know that I had torn until a couple of days in because I didn't check or anything mm-hmm. until, like, it was all swollen and everything. Exactly. I just, I just rested. A few days in, then I, I felt it, and um, I asked Andrew to look, and then he told me that I had a little bit. It wasn't bad. and um, But it was kind of, it was, it was a, whatever. It was just superficial, but it was pretty big. And, and then I started to freak out. Like, I really had a big freak out time and cried and all this, but what turned it around for me was man saying, you know, it's my battle scar. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, so yep. that women like tribal women would say that that's, that's my battle scar and they're mm-hmm. proud of it. So yeah. Especially when you've had such a positive birth, right? Like sometimes yeah. as we know, women are left with scars from their birth and it's, it's haunting to them. And so this well, is another. Well, someone else does it to you. Totally. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Totally. I mean, yeah. that's really fundamentally the difference, right? So getting to walk through these, you know, just epically powerful, you know, rites of passages and, and having the experience leave marks on us, you know, if, if we birth in power, um, there's so much opportunity to welcome it and reframe it and love it um, and grow with it and yeah, exactly. When it's happening to you, that's a, oh gosh, that's a whole nother thing. Um, well, yeah, I'll just, I'll just finish the birth story. Cause where we're at now is her head is only halfway out. So oh, geez Louise. Out. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we kind of so, skipped around there. Okay. So her head so is halfway her head, out. Yeah. I'm in the water and it's dark and her head comes out into my right hand. And that felt so amazing. Just like holding her, her head fits so perfectly in the palm of my mm. hand and 
and the next wave, it was so effortless. Just it happened. Like I felt her body twist a little bit and then she was out. And here's where like, I didn't tell anybody where I was at. I just was very like serious and quiet and inward. And then all of a sudden her little arms are like flapping towards the surface of the water and she swam up to the top and that's when everyone <laughs> saw that she was there, you know, and she wailed. I just picked her up out of the water mm. and held her to me and she just cried for probably 10 minutes. Mm. She really had a big voice and, um, you know, people came in and said congratulations and then left and the <laughs> dog came in. He was really curious. And, um, but I was afraid that she was getting cold. Right, I just my instinct was, okay, I gotta get her warm. It's kinda it's probably fifty degrees outside. So um we went back inside into the cabin and um laid on the bed and she nursed in there. She finally calmed down and she nursed and then fell asleep into a really sweet deep sleep and I ate some of that birthday cake and um mm -hmm. yeah, and my friends like sang a welcoming song to her. And um, I waited for the placenta to come. I had a couple of contractions that hurt pretty good. And then they kind of just ended. And I'm just, like, waiting for the placenta. Um, my daughter, um, she, was, she was asleep. And so I laid her down on the bed. And we're still attached by the cord. And I'm just kind of, like, she's laying in front of me. And I'm kneeling over a bowl waiting for this placenta to come out, kind of losing my patience. She was born at 2.15 in the morning, and I just wanted so much to get into bed with mm -hmm. her and go to sleep. And I'm like, okay, waiting for this placenta. And I don't know. Um, this is where I feel like maybe if I had just stayed outside, it the energy change is maybe what delayed it. I don't know. Cause it felt very different being outside very primal to like going indoors. Um, and it took a good while and, um, you know, and left and then it was just Andrew and Maya in there and they were a little bit concerned about me cause I was bleeding out a lot, like the whole time, um, bleeding pretty good. Like I probably lost, I didn't measure it, but, maybe three cups or something, but I, how did you I feel? Yeah. So I felt lightheaded if I tried to get up, but I realized, Hey, I'm like losing a lot of blood. That makes sense that I'd be lightheaded, but I don't feel concerned or alarmed. Um, so this is probably fine. And I just wish the placenta would come out so I could go to bed. And how many hours but, are we at now? Um, let's see. That was, I mean, it took four hours okay. for the placenta to come out. Mm -hmm. So, we were all pretty patient throughout that, but yeah, a couple hours in, they were kind of getting a little concerned about me, and um, I took some, like, Dong Kwai tincture and didn't really do anything, um, so, and then they rubbed my belly a little bit, and that really didn't do anything, and just before daybreak, or at daybreak, I decided to go walk around outside thinking maybe some movement would help me get this placenta out because, like, contractions have totally stopped. It's mm -hmm. just sitting in there. I'm not bleeding that much anymore, and I feel fine, but I'm ready for this to be done now. Um, so I wrapped my baby up and kind of held her at my belly and then put a sweater on and walked around the garden again. And um, and finally, I just knelt down, and Maya came behind me, and she very gently just pressed on my belly 
and I felt the placenta detach and split mm, out nice. and onto the earth, and it was so amazing um, to have it out and like took prints of it and, and um, put it in a bowl, washed it up, and then and brought her inside, and then I finally got to go to bed at sunrise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think. That was not something I expected. Mm-hmm. I definitely didn't think it was going to take that long. Um, but I just want to like share that because it's it can be normal for it to take a long time. Like I hadn't ever heard of it taking four hours, but for yeah. me, it was that's what happened. Totally, and you know, because all birth stories that we hear are managed, nobody hang you know nobody managing a birth is going to hang out for four hours. That's not yeah. You know, I say nobody and I'm sure somebody's going, well, my midwife did. So, okay, maybe there is somebody who did. But um, the vast, vast majority of managed births, you know, they want the placenta out and in the hospital, you know, less than 20 minutes in home, you know, certainly less than an hour. And I would say that it is certainly ideal that, you know, by 45 minutes, it's like getting thought about and, you you know, so you're seeing if it could be encouraged. But um, like with you, you did that and it wasn't, you know, and you ultimately yeah. felt fine. You didn't hemorrhage, you know, you, you would have known if you were in trouble because you would have had serious signs of shock. And, um, you know, and that's a good thing to insert here that hemorrhage is not based on the amount of blood somebody le- loses. It's based on the amount of blood paired with how um, that person is feeling. It's how the person responds to the loss of blood that decides if it's a hemorrhage or not because one person could lose three cups and feel fine, just a little woozy like you. Another person could lose one cup and and fully um, go into shock. You know, so yeah. um, I think, I, I love your story. I'm so glad you said that because it is important to talk about and, and you know, I have other stories on this podcast of women you know, taking many hours, one woman, I think was 12 hours. And, um, wow. yeah, I think it, it definitely happens and it needs to get normalized because with managed births, we don't hear that. And because our cultural narratives are only rooted in managed birth, we have actually lost track of what's normal. Right. Yeah. It's such a broad spectrum of what mm-hmm. can be normal, too. And I think just the basis is, like, trust your intuition. Not be prepared with supportive people around you who also trust you. But, yeah, trust yourself to just check in and say, is this okay? Is it not? And your baby, too. Right. You're going to know if you don't feel... Yeah. You're going to know if you, you know, people say all the time, well, you know, what if I, I want a free birth, but what if I, uh, you know, bleed out and then all of a sudden my husband has to make all these decisions and he has to, he has to, he mm-hmm. has to, I'm like, what are you talking about? Why did he all of a sudden become another person that's managing you? Like you are going to know if you're not okay. Um, it's, it's, it's not rocket science. Like it's pretty straightforward. If you do not feel well after birth and you're showing signs of shock, um, and you are losing blood, you know, that's, that's a problem. That's very, very unlikely to occur in an undisturbed birth. Um, obviously, right. Like that's the most protective hormonally protective way to birth. Uh, it's as if nature designed it that way. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> yeah, birth is normal. That's just that's it for me. I love learning about birth and hearing stories and researching and just the bottom line is like it's just a normal thing to do. 
That's what we do. This is what we do. <laughs> well, I love your story. Yeah. I love that you just followed your instincts from the very beginning and uh, just totally birthed in power and and so unique and yet also so universal and just such a such an awesome story. I could totally see it in my head as you were as you were saying it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for for highlighting those important things too. I really learned a lot just sharing this with you. Nice. That's awesome. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Take care. You too. That's it for today, everyone. Join us next week for another episode of the Free Birth Podcast. Thanks for joining us. And remember, your body, your choice. Lots of love.